0: From the Financial Times in London, I'm Patrick Jenkins, the FT's financial editor. This is FT News. Standard Charter's chief executive, Bill Winters, has talked about a cancer of complacency and lax controls inside the bank that he has run for the past year. I spoke to Mr Winters with my colleague Martin Arnold, and we asked him what exactly had gone wrong.
1: Some parts of the control environment not just relating to conduct, but also relating to risk management and expense control, it wasn't as rigorous as it needs to be for this environment. I mean, the environment is much more challenging than it was for much of the last 15 years, and I think the bank built in a little bit of complacency around a whole bunch of things. Conduct was one of them. When we had incidents of you know, relatively senior people using bad judgment or taking actions that, that were, I, I think with, with, the, with the benefit of any sort of rigorous review would be unacceptable. You say, "Well, why, how would a senior person be thinking that that's okay?" I'm not going to get into too many examples because it's you start to you know, sort of incriminate individuals, which isn't my point at all. But broadly, we had some—I would call it largesse on the expense side, so not strictly violating rules. Maybe in some cases strictly violating rules, but not—you're not egregiously violating rules, and not—you know—not people taking money and putting it in their pocket, but just engaging in expensive activities that were inconsistent with anybody's definition of the spirit of what we're trying to get done. Our colleagues reacted very strongly, and. I definitely came across as angry when I, <laughs> when I spoke to the, you know, to the 1,500 senior people in the bank and just said, you know, this is not the bank any of us want to work for. So, you know, we had, you know, senior people that formed an investment consortia with other senior people, but also some less senior people. So, you know, a manager having the woman that reports to him together investing in a, in a highly speculative real estate venture. Now, is the real estate venture, was it inappropriate in any way? No, it wasn't a conflict. But, you know, what are the rules? Well, you, you declare an outside investment. You declare a close financial relationship with colleagues. And most certainly, if somebody had come to me or, or, you know, Peter Sands or whatever and said, you know, I'm going into this venture and I've got a direct report of mine that's going as well, we'd say, no, you can't do that. They were not disclosed. Neither was the no investment problem. disclosed, nor was the close financial relationship between colleagues disclosed.
0: How did you find that kind of thing out at-
1: We've well,
2: hired people from the FBI, and uh, well,
1: we do have we do have our head of investigations just from the FBI, but that's that's not how we found it out. We're we're not sleuthing on our on our employees, but you, know, you have all sorts of ways of finding out. Starting with yeah. when people leave, or when people become disgruntled, right. they say, you know, by the way, I was encouraged to invest in something. I thought it had the bank's blessing, but yeah. it appears it didn't because now I'm getting, being given a hard time, right. that sort of thing. But you know we had um, employees that were lending money to other employees at very high interest rates. That's not okay, right? That's what a kind of rate of interest would someone? Well, like you know, more than your standard trader credit card, and why? Well, because they were in desperate trouble and they needed the money. I mean, maybe maybe desperate trouble. Maybe you know, some speculation. Maybe it's you know, payback for introductions to other people. It's, it's it doesn't matter really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's you don't have business dealings with other employees of the bank, or, or or if you do. If you find yourself in a situation where you're investing together in a private equity vehicle, for example, mm-hmm. that's okay. You just disclose it. Declare it. It will make sure that, they, that there is no conflict. And, and monitor it from time to time. And these are all, frankly, I think it's basic stuff.
0: Next, we asked Mr. Winters how bad it really was. And finally, we asked Mr. Winters to make a comparison between these types of misdemeanors and the infamous case of Standard Chartered breaching US sanctions on various transactions, including Iranian sanctions.
1: I mean, these are, frankly, they're childish things. And individually, they don't add up to material financial exposure to the bank, but culturally, they're, they're a cancer. I don't think that we had people whose moral compass was slightly askew who were also thinking that it was okay to encourage business with uh, with Iranian nexus clients. I don't think that's the case. I do think, though, that there was a a little bit of complacency, a little bit of, uh, of, of indulgence, of deviation from a, a sort of a strict definition of policy that did contribute to us getting in trouble. I think that played out on the risk side, where we allowed yeah. some concentrations to build up, that the ordinary... Checks and balances should have, would have checked. And uh, I think you know, we underinvested in transaction monitoring and, and sanctions compliance, right? It, we, we obviously underinvested in that area. And as a result, there were some bad actors that were able to circumvent our defenses, for sure. That, I don't think, was the central problem. I think the central problem was that we underinvested in our own transaction monitoring capabilities. Obviously, you know, subsequently addressed to a substantial degree, still more work to do. So I don't think there was a big ethical issue as it relates to our regulatory problems. But it was the same combination of complacency and, and looseness of controls. You know, maybe part of it was that we, we trusted people to do the right thing. And uh, trust is okay as long as you've had a good verification alongside
0: So Martin, we sat down with Bill Winters and talked to him a lot more than on this one topic, but particularly on this, what's your judgment? Is this an angry Bill Winters stamping his authority on the bank? You know, he's been there for a year now, but he's wanting to weed out any transgressors.
2: Yeah, I think this is crucial for Bill Winters. His first year has mostly been taken up with balance sheet issues. So he had to raise just over $5 billion from a rights issue to shore up the balance sheet. He took a whole bucket load of provisions for bad debts to big, heavily indebted Indian clients and Indonesian clients that the bank had overextended itself in recent years. So there was that cleaning up of the balance sheet and that's what he's been focused on. But now he's turning to more cultural issues and has found these various examples, the expenses, the things that he talked about. And I think that he realizes that he needs to clamp down on these very hard because, as he said, it's a slippery slope. And if there isn't a cohesive code of conduct that's respected and tightly verified then you know you could slip back into the types of risky lending that was beyond normal risk limits that have landed the bank in big trouble in recent years and a large part of the reason why its shares have fallen by more than two-thirds in the past few years and its star has really fallen But he does say he's not despairing about this. He says, I remain as convinced as I hoped I would be that the ethical culture of the bank is very strong. So he can see a good culture there. It's just a question of, I think, as he explained to us, you've got 35 different countries in Africa, Middle East, Asia, across these regions... Very different cultures when it comes to the attitude towards these types of things. And so creating a homogeneous culture for this type of bank as Standard Chartered is, is much more difficult for him to do there than it was when he was running the investment bank at J.P. Morgan.
0: Partly because that was a bank, or that is a bank, that is less embedded in local economies, local cultures. Yeah probably more foreign nationals working in those markets rather than being embedded locally.
2: Yeah, there's very little retail business outside the US for JP Morgan, very little commercial business. It's global investment banking and capital markets, which can be done by foreigners. But commercial banking, dealing with SMEs, corporates, retail consumers, customers, you need a large local staff in these markets. And Stan has has got that.
0: I think one of the interesting points that he made to us that staff generally seemed very supportive of what he'd done on this through internal memos and presentations to staff because he seemed to be calling out very senior people within the bank, not by name, but targeting some senior people who maybe had gone over the top with expenses and with breaching guidelines and so on. And people who might perhaps have been resented by their underlings. Actually, that's been a popular move.
2: Yeah. Well, he said it was a 100 to 1, the messages of support he'd got against the few that were criticising his clampdown. And he said that what most people particularly applauded was this clamping down on the leniency that there had been or there has been for senior staff.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT's Banking Weekly. You can find this every Tuesday at ft.com slash podcasts.